I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going, so I opened up. We were only the small little fish out there, so we are on the... We're trying hard to make it through, but it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know, and it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today because, like, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. So we said we'd bring a show for you today because there's a little bit of spillover from the all Ireland, and I wanted to get some reaction uh, from the Limerick camp. So we have Seamus Flanagan coming up on the show, which I'm very excited about. I'm a big fan of Seamus Flanagan, as anybody who's listened to the show for the last three years will be able to tell you. Um, one, there's been some talk after the show, Brian, or uh, since the all Ireland, Brian, about Limerick's backroom team. And there's been a lot of screenshots from the programme, and like they have John Kiley, and then they have a backroom team of 20 people. And it's in contrast to the backroom team um, Waterford had, which was almost half that. Now, there was nothing really incredible standing out from the backroom team. Like they had an assistant goalkeeping coach, which I thought was a little bit unusual. Um, you know, I wouldn't think too many teams have that. They had three statsmen. You know, the, you know, Leash, for example, would get players to do the stats a lot of the time. You know, they had a video analyst. Nothing too major here. But it, I suppose, Brian, people are talking about J.P. McManus's money and the sponsorship and and what the teams at the top level can afford. Yeah, I suppose there's a few things in that. Um, just like the standout point for me in that was that the selectors were also described as coaches. And I thought that was was massive. Um, because we all know that the day of a selector just, you know, rocking on and leaning against the, the wire or sitting in the dugout is gone. Yeah. So um, that, that's that's very appropriate that they were also called selectors slash coaches. And obviously we know that Paul Kinnark is the is the head coach. Um, so, you know, he, he's driving things, but it, it's a big shift over the last number of years where selectors are, are expected um, and encouraged to be involved in the coaching side of things. And I think that's that's great, and it, it is the way forward. It allows obviously 
teams to work, uh, you know, with small groups and work on certain things, like sometimes with the backs or with the forwards or, or break it down even further in terms of the full back line or half back line or whatever. So, you know, that side of things is important and you need selectors that obviously have a deep uh, knowledge of the game, uh, which I think all selectors should have, but they also have to have that coaching side of things to be very comfortable with it. And I suppose there's also an element of upskilling there that they, they become more involved in the overall process. And, you know, if ever needed, they are able to, you know, put themselves forward to maybe learn from someone like Paul Connor and that they'll be able to bring that forward in terms of the coaching ticket or, or step up as a head coach themselves. I think I think that's something similar in terms of the assistant goalkeeping coach. Obviously, I'm, I'm looking at this from the outside, but it, maybe they have a main one and they're, they're maybe putting another... Um, goalkeeping coach through an apprenticeship almost for want of a better description that he gets a, an opportunity to, to see how things are done and then help out in certain ways um, so you know these are all it's a good model overall it's a, it's a very good model of how you can maybe um, learn from the best at the top in, ter- in terms of John Kiley and, and Paul Kinnerk, um but also in terms of obviously overall uh, structures that it seems to be very, very well run and well thought out, you know, backroom staff. I'd say yeah. with Liam Cal, I'd say obviously coming from an under 20 or under 21 setup over the last couple of years and minor previous to that, they wouldn't have as big a setups. They wouldn't have as many people um, involved, uh, you know, naturally. The, the same finances aren't there and the same amount of people um, to actually maybe help out. Um, Art Noel was there. Um, even if you are with successful teams, uh, you know you, you want a small team that you can trust, and I'd say that's exactly what Liam Carroll did going into Waterford. He, he brought a small team. He didn't change things up a huge amount from what he was used to at under twenty, and and I suppose it made that transition pretty seamless for him. And that's why you know people hold him in such regard after the year he's after having. You know, it'd be interesting to see Willie. There's a lot of talk about a, a lot more financial backing expected to be given to Waterford in terms of that senior setup next year. So it'd be interesting to see Willie Willie you know bring in many more in terms of his backroom team. Um, and, and does he see the need to it? Like you know it's a wider point. You know, we hear of the backroom teams in Dublin in football obviously in particular. Um, you know, Tipperary have had a big, big backroom team over the last number of years. Limerick obviously now as well. Is there a correlation between success and a big backroom staff? Not necessarily, obviously. You know, you can but have I, as big I, a backroom I, team as you want, but, but yeah. it doesn't guarantee it. No, no, it doesn't guarantee it. But having the financial backing to, like a lot of those people in the backroom team would be volunteers, but a lot of them aren't. And I suppose like they'd have Caroline yeah. Coorid, who's the most highly regarded sports psychologist, you know, have the, the best physios rather than just the physios another county might afford. We know in every line of work, Brian, we, you know, like yourself, you have good teachers and you have bad teachers. I'm sure you're falling into the, into the first category. But like, I mean, there's obviously people that cost more money because they're the best. And I did think there was something st- stood out for me with their strength and conditioning uh, coach during the week. Um, and, and this goes the same as Dublin. A lot of people say money can't buy it, but like a high perf- the, the top level high performance setups is obviously an advantage. And anyone that would argue that it's not is madness. And I'm not criticising Limerick. They're very lucky to have a, you know, a very wealthy sponsor. And Dublin are very lucky that they have AIG money. Like, I mean, I'm not cribbing about this. I'm just saying the idea that having a top, top notch setup doesn't affect the team of course it does like Michael Kiley who's their strength and conditioning coach he was talking about the lockdown he says so they 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 worked on speed 
during the lockdown. He says, so we did it in two blocks, working on biomechanics and acceleration. Speed isn't something you generally get to work on because you need you need a lot of time to recover. He said, we do speed work in sessions, but as S&C coaches, we sometimes fool ourselves as how effective it can be. And I just thought that seems like a very smart thing to do during a lockdown, Brian, for a strength and conditioning coach. Let's do something that we wouldn't be able to do if we were always training. Yeah, no, I thought that was excellent. I think, just to go back to your other point, I think I think there is a correlation between teams that are successful and attracting the best, uh, you know, people that are out there as well. Obviously, you need the financial backing as well. But all, you know, due respect, you know, like some of the top people in strength and conditioning or some of the top people maybe in, in terms of sports psychologists or nutritionists or whatever, unless they're just getting off the ground, they're not going to work with the lesser teams, even unless unless they're absolute mercenary for money, even if it's huge money is thrown at them. You know, people want to work with the best teams and the teams that are most successful. We all know that. That's that's natural in life as well. You know, managers, outside managers that move to teams, they handpick them generally. You know, they want to make sure that they're a team that has a huge chance of success and you want, you want your name, you know, um, associated with the success that happened. So I think there's, there is a little bit of that as well. Um, you know, because... It, it, it's it's it, obviously it makes it a lot more difficult for the lesser teams and I, I've spoken about this before and that's why it's so hard for some of the lesser teams to maybe make that um, make up that gap it's very hard and we see and I've said this before as well we see this in many other sports you know we see it in soccer we see it in American football we see it all over the place so it is, it is tough going back to the other point in terms of the, the lockdown I think in fairness to Limerick I think the year three of John Kiley's uh, set up and they have everything down, you know, fine-tuned. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's top, top class. Actually, sorry, it's your four, sorry. So, like, they obviously are, are very far on in terms of, uh, you know, how, how in-tuned they are to what they need. And I thought that was very, very good and made it something very enjoyable for the players. You know, that type of speed work that they could actually work on and maybe work on, as you said, work on, work on things that otherwise didn't have time to was very good and it, it was a way of keeping players very interested and um, which we all know was a very very difficult time mentally and very mundane in terms of that first lockdown yeah, no, exactly. And Michael Kiley said that the speed blocks resulted in an improved acceleration performance over five metres and 20 metres on the previous uh, testing they did um, in February. So, like, I mean, we know strength and conditioning fellas like to talk themselves up. I don't think there's anything unusual about that, but I do, I do, I do give, again, expertise. And he, Michael Kiley was also talking about Paul Knurk, and he was saying Paul understands and looks for the data. He wants to know how hard the players um, or he wants to know how hard the players perceive a certain game is within the session. He wants to know what their heart rates are at, and we don't bring them back into training until they've fully recovered. Like, I mean, Limerick would have heart rate monitors and GPSs, you know, for the training sessions and be able to get live data of how hard they work during the sessions and not bring them back in until the following. And again, I'm just trying to paint a picture about what a high performance, because we obviously had Eddie Brennan on the show recently, and after the clear defeat, he was looking for more money off the Leash County board you know, to bring them up a level. And I'm just trying to paint a picture of what this higher level would look like. And, you know, this is another example of it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, look, I think a lot of counties have moved towards that GPS and the live data. And, um, you know, I think we've probably seen it more prevalent in football where Mayo were probably one of the teams a couple of years ago taking off players because they'd gone into the red zone, we'll call it, um, for want of a better description. Um, You know, and... That live data is obviously a lot more accessible to, to people nowadays and they are aware of it in training. I know 
every county player was given the GPS during that lockdown as well, so that their sessions were being monitored by by management. Um, you know, so the, there was there's no place to hide anymore. The county hurlers, the footballers out there, it's it's crazy how far it's moved on. It's a whole different world from what we were playing bully. Um, so it, it it is it is it is mad that they're able to have that. But obviously, um, it's all it's all grand having data. And, and this goes for all. It's the fact how well they use the data. I think is is crucial from Limerick, and they seem to be um, excellent at doing that. And and you know that's that's you know an interesting take on that. That Paul Canuck is very interested to see how how much it's affecting their players because that just shows how much he thinks about his his games that he's he's using in in um, in his training sessions, not just in terms of you know the the overall aim of the game in terms of possession or tackling or whatever the you know the particular game is for but how much it's actually affecting the body as well so so that's that's a very very interesting to to hear Paul Kinnerk mentioning him his CV is absolutely out of control so he's three All-Ireland senior titles with Clare 13 18 and 20 with Limerick. He's all Ireland under 21s in 12, 13, 14. He's Munster senior in 1920. Munster under 21, 12, 13 and 14. Munster minor 2010 and 11. That's when he got his break in with Clare. And he's a National League in 16, 19 and 20. Like, I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal um, what that fella has been doing. And he's a football man. Like, he's an ex-Limerick footballer. Like, and I, I think, Brian, and like, I mean, I've said this before, that he's brought a lot of football tactics into hurling like a possession-based game, moving the ball through the lines, getting the ball to a certain point and then giving nice diagonal balls in, you know, laying it off to a man running past you, almost like, you know, full forward type play in Gaelic football where a man, it's a lovely diagonal ball, he wins it and there's a man running off and he hand passes it to him. You know, while Cork might have dabbled in that in the past, probably nowhere near to the extent that Canerk has brought it to. And like, I'm only speculating here that maybe he's brought a little bit of tactical fouling in, in there as well. Like, I mean, he he definitely has brought hurling and I think it's him because it's all happened since he started with Clare in 13 at senior level. This possession-based game, short stick passes, all that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely that, that side of it. You can see that it's clear turn towards, you know, um, football. It's not obviously all-out football because not as many people filter back, but there are obviously a significant number filtering back at this stage. And you're dead right. There was one point there in the Ireland where Limerick just worked the ball through the lines with a series of hand passes. And I actually commented, you know, when he was doing commentary for the game, that he's a Dublin footballer are looking at. It was so seamless of what they were doing. And they used to those lovely diagonal balls. They, don't, they never waste the ball. I think that's probably... Yeah, the biggest compliment you can pay to Limerick at the moment, whether it's a hand pass, a short strike, or a long strike, the ball it's always on point, and I think that's what's so admirable about them at the moment. But that again, that comes back to the conditions that they're training in, and the condition games, and the games based approach that they have. Um, it's just so um, ingrained in them in their approach, and it, it's it's beautiful. Like, look, there's been hints of football influence on, on hurling for many years like you know, we, we heard about Kilkenny years ago bringing in some of the coaches from Armagh to, to help with the swarm tackle as well and stuff like that so you know like it's it's you know maybe and you know remember Mick Dempsey as well was a, a football man from Leash as well and he was yeah. the, the main strength conditioning coach with Kilkenny for years as well and their, their tackling was off the charts obviously as well so you can see there's been a change for the number of years now in, in the way that players tackle you know, the, the traditional maybe hoop and block, um, players don't rely on it as much. You know, it, it's the stand-up tackle. It's the get bodies yeah. in. Yeah. One person stands them up, the other person gets in to win the ball. 
you know, it, it, there's a lot more thought process put into the, the actual tackling than just, you know, your one-on-one defender. It's probably why we hear a lot of, you know, maybe the older generation um, maybe pining for the, you know, years of, of before where, you know, you had that one-on-one defending where you had to get in a hook or a blast or whatever. And it's still there in the game. It's never going to go completely. But, uh, you know, there's certainly a, a different type of tackle as well we've seen over the last couple of years. So yeah. it is interesting. The, the thing is, we don't want to see it go too much like Pokemon. I think the sports <laughs> out there don't want. No, but like, and that's not a disrespect. You know, it's, it's like hurling. Um, I think we've obviously moved away from the day of just get the ball and lump it down the field. That that's obvious. Um, you know, and it, there's just something hugely admirable about the way Limerick play. You can't but admire their, their style. Um, but you have to remember as well they have an unbelievable crop of players that have come through through a system in Limerick. Um, that's that's. You know, it's been excellent and, and they're at a very young age and they seem to be very well grounded as well by John Kiley. So it's a perfect storm for Limerick at the moment. Um, and I was just reading the stat the other day where the average height is six foot two and the average weight is 13 stone 11. Yeah. Like, you know, Graham McCarthy is the only small player they have, per se. You know, Sean Finn might be, mightn't be that tall, but he's still, you know, he's a bull, yeah. And, he, and he's, he's well built. So the rest of the players, apart from Graham McCarthy, are huge. You know, so this I'm saying it's the perfect storm for them right now, and uh, it's 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 worrying for all the rest of the counties. I also heard as well that you know, or read that there was um the average winning margin this year was six points, and uh, like that maybe lends itself we might say looking at that very coldly that that you know there's it seems to be a pretty tight friendship. I think it's pretty tight apart from Limerick. I think Limerick just seems to be a step ahead of everyone else. You look at next year, um, and you say. Who who do you think can bridge that gap? And it's very hard to to pick a team that's going to try and bring down this Limerick team right now. No, it definitely is. So three points um, from Clay and another brilliant performance in the final for Seamus Flanagan, and he joins us on the line now. Seamus, how's it going? Good, Willie. Good, and yourself? Very good, very good. Come here. A little birdie tells me you have uh, college exams uh, this week. Uh, so you're just after winning an All Ireland. You've got your college exams. We're coming up to Christmas. This must be a very bizarre time in your life. Yeah, come here, look, it's a, it's a strange time, I think, for everyone, you know, everyone that's involved in the team. Um, you know, sitting, sitting your Christmas exams coming up to, and after winning an All-Ireland final on a Sunday, you know, it's, it's, it's one for the books, I suppose, you know, it's one that's going to go down in history. But uh, yeah, no, look, it's, it's uh, set me up in good stead and you're going into these exams with, I suppose, um, a sense of uh, achievement and, and you're back and hopefully these go well for me now, just as well as Sunday did for, for Limerick, you know. Yeah, how did the celebrations compare to 2018? Yeah, you know, I, I suppose different would be a word I'd use. And um, it was, you know, after 45 years of a wait from in 2018, I think, you know, that was that was a special one. That I've memories from that made from that that would go down in in history, you know. And um, but you know, this one, this one's the same. We don't we don't do it easy down here in Limerick, you know. We do we we, we won't win one after 45 years and another after a, a global pandemic, you know. We, we make <laughs> we, we make it hard for ourselves down here. Here it was must have been a weird game. Like I'm talking about the celebrations afterwards, and like I'm mean, I'm sure you celebrated, but even the build up to the game would have been very low key. And I I was at the game, and like it felt like I don't know what it felt like. There was no crest in the middle of the pitch. There was no meeting the president. There was no parade. The game just seemed to start out of no kind of out of nowhere. It was weird. Yeah, it was strange. And then we had there was the helicopters were flying over us then as well, and it was kind of you know that's usually safe for the big day and the eighty two thousand people in Crow Park roaring and. It was, it was kind of, you know, I suppose that kind of mastered. Declan was giving us a bit of a speech there in, in the huddle and the, the helicopter was there, so Declan was roaring. But I think that was the first time all year I've heard Declan have to roar in a pre-match kind of speech, you know. And right. it was odd, but 
come here, it was, I suppose you kind of got used to it. It was, you know, I, I, I kind of go back to, it was nearly like a club game. You know, you can hear, I suppose, the fact that the extended panel were there, they were making a bit more noise. Um, and then you, the subs and the bench and, you know, everything that's coming in from John and Paul can be heard. And yeah, it's, it's an odd one. And I suppose they had the, the, the kids, you know, in the local schools had, had made out, you know, cut out posters from, I suppose, from Limerick and Waterford as well. And they were in the stand. They were a bit eerie at the same time. But <laughs> no, it was, it, it, was, it was odd. It was odd is what I'd say. But no, look, none, none less enjoyable. And, you know, you know what's at stake. You're running out past the Lee McCarthy there, you know, before the warm up. Um, and that's at stake. So it was it was no less important as any other game that we've played throughout our careers. Yeah, Killian O'Connor actually, the Mayo Corner forward mentioned that it was like a club match. A bit, it's a bit similar to a club match as well. Like, I mean, is there less pressure from that regard? Like, you know, going into an All Ireland final. Personally, for myself, I did. I felt like you know once I got the the, the semi final out of the way because obviously I hadn't been starting all up until there. Yeah. And um, once I got, I was probably more nervous for the semi final than I was for the final. Um, on, a, on a personal regard because I was like you know I want to obviously win the game and uh, from a personal performance point of view but you know if, if an All-Ireland final looms after the semi-final you want to put your hand up and you know get, get your selection there as well so I was probably more nervous for the semi-final and once I played in Crow Park and you know did the empty stadium kind of thing it was it was as if again like a club game or a challenge game I know I kind of link it back we played Galway in a challenge game um, down in Nimerick once we knew the championship was going ahead and it was very very similar to that but yeah, again, less pressure, and you know, you're going out there, and you're like, this is you're not you're not worried about any sideshows, any Artane boys band, any parades, anything like that. It's kind of just a game, and that's it, and that's all you have to focus on. Yeah, because I'm sure you would have prepared for all those changes, like you know, Carolyn Cura does a lot of work with you, and you know, your management team is top class. Would you, you would have discussed in the week the big change? You know, this is not an all Ireland final that you're used to. No, definitely, and Caroline, you know, Caroline's brilliant in that regard because. You know, she says things like it is, and this is what it's going to be like. And you know, you know, just just adjust to that to that kind of you know mentality and um, in your headspace, and just go to that place where you need to go to. So you know, we we were all prepped for that, and I suppose having the semi final played in similar conditions, um, it was it was definitely a help. And I suppose it was the same for Watford having the the semi final play with no crowd there. You know, there was talk in before the game whether they they might let a couple of thousand people in, like they're doing with the soccer in England at the moment. Um, but no, thankfully, you know, it went off the same way the semi-final was. We were used to it. We kind of had our dry run done and the things kind of panned out the way that they did. Yeah, you were definitely up for it. So you were, weren't you? Like, I mean, you scored three points. You celebrated two of them. Your th- was it your third one you celebrated, the one under the Hogan stand? I haven't really seen you celebrating scores like that before. Was this kind of like trying to create a bit of atmosphere amongst the team or was that just some sort of release for yourself? I think personally for myself, I think I gave one of them, I gave him the double fist pump. Um, <laughs> I, don't think, I, I don't think one sufficed there at all towards the end, but no, come here. Yeah, it was, it was, I suppose a sense of, you know, I went through a tough, tough 2019 um, with injuries and, you know, I suppose other guys were coming in, you know, Peter Casey, Graham McKay and Aaron Galan inside there. They're probably the best foot forward in that's there. And I was trying to break into that from what they, my, my 2018 season. And it just never really happened for me. So I suppose, the getting getting to start that final again um, two years later and you know I suppose playing playing a, a crucial role in that win um, I think yeah just you know a way to throw those shackles off a weight off the shoulders and I just said to myself you know let's cut loose here and let's see what we can do and I think you saw that across the whole thing you know Gerald Hegarty popping up with seven Tom Marcy with five you know they were stand up players for the, for the whole season for us and I think it was a case of you know after the, the disappointment of 2019, it was a case of let's just throw off the shackles, let's show up, let's show people what we can do. And it was kind of I suppose you could you could relate it back to that freestyle hurling. It was it was just really fluid, and you know everyone just loved their hurling this year. It was it was just amazing. 
Yeah, what do you put down the getting dropped in for pretty much the whole season, just being an impact sub in 2019? Like, what did, were, you mentioned injuries. Was did you have a dip in form? You know, I would have always had you as a very important part of that team. Yeah, no, it was it was definitely. I I think I started out the season. Um, we were, which we had we had the, the the trips abroad and stuff, and we came back in and we were rolling straight back into league. And I think I kind of struggled to find my form again in 2019. Right. Um, I was, I was, I think it, it was just all, there was no pre-season as such. It was a case of, we came back from our team holiday and it was straight back into training. Um, and it was, it was very much a case of that, you know, it, once you, you needed to hit the ground running and that didn't really happen for me. And I remember I rolled my ankle twice. Um, I did the hamstring. I came on against Cork, I think in the first round, they beat us and I did my hamstring and we were after using our last sub. So I had to stay on. So that obviously aggravated that more. Right. Um, and then it was it was just kind of a series, I think, of a, a culmination of things. And um, to be honest, uh, so uh, yeah, I just struggled to find form. Um, and when I, you, you you say impact sub, so I don't think I really made much of an impact in 2019. And not getting to come on in the in the in the semi final then was a massive, I think, uh, driving force for me to push on in 2020. Um, and the way things that panned out then, obviously, you know, we weren't sure if there was a championship going to go ahead, but I really carried that form through into the club. And, you know, we went to a county semi-final only to be beaten by a point by Napiershig. Um, so I was, yeah, I just kind of carried that form through. And I was just kind of, I, I think I went back to my old roots in 2018 and, you know, that kind of youthful and carefree and, you know, let's do everything to the best of our, our ability and not really think too much about things. Right, yeah, maybe. And that definitely showed when you came on. Like, were you surprised to get the start then against Galway? Because, uh, like, I was predicting it on the show based on how well you did against Dahi Burke. Um, you know how intimidating a, a player he can be that you ran him around in 2018. I was thinking maybe that would be a great game for you to start again. Were you expecting that call-up? No, I wasn't. And I only kind of found, I suppose, Kylie keeps his, his cards close to his chest. And, um, you know, you don't really know where you stand as regards team bases. Um, but I was just thinking to myself, look, the boys won the Munster final in against Watford. Um, you know, it's very hard to change a winning team. So I was prepping myself for, you know, coming on for those last 15, 20 minutes um, and just making it, that impact that I had been making with it, with it throughout the season. Um, that's, that, that's where I was mentally. Um, and I think on the Tuesday night then, we usually run through a few, kind of a 15 on 15 and, you know, you it's, it's, it's only 15 minutes towards the end of it. And I remember he was calling out the teams and, I remember he had called Dara at midfield with Will and I was like, oh, Keane got to centre forward again for, the, for this game because he'd switched back the week before. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's the change. And kind of, I, I think I said to one of the lads, I kind of zoned out and I looked up into the into the stand and, you know, the catering company had come in and the food was getting set up for after. And I was like, oh, what, you know, what, 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 could, we be ha- what could we be having today? Is it curry or is it stew? <laughs> um, and then all I heard was Aaron Galan and Seamus Flanagan. And I looked over and I was like, that, that's, a, that's a mistake. Surely that's a mistake. So I remember I went out in that session and I think I was on Dan Morrissey and I think I popped one tree off Dan and just absolutely was like, right, if, if, even if this is you know him trying something or something, I was like, oh, let's put the thought in his head. So that night went well for me. And then on the Friday came and you know I was named as starting foot forward. So absolutely over the moon. And as I said, I think the nerves probably kicked in then for me being like I needed to, to you know see my position. And luckily I did and things kind of panned out the way that they did. Yeah, geez, that's fantastic altogether. Like, I mean, it must be lovely then when you are starting playing, you're kind of left inside with uh, Galan and you stand to the edge of the square and you've loads of space either side to run into and they're not the obvious balls down the line where the back might read it. They're the lovely diagonal balls, so you're getting some lovely service in there. Oh, come here, when you're, when you're playing with the likes, I always say, you know, it's only when I kind of started, when I started out my career, looking up to the likes of Deirdre Burns and, you know, Declan and... Dan and those boys that are playing in our backline. You know, I've looked up, they were my role models from day dot. I remember going up to, 
to the day against the, I think the All Ireland semi final Limerick against Clare when they beat us. And, you know, in, in our under 21 games, myself and my father and my brother used to go into those games and come here, these guys are my heroes. Like, as in, I'm just in awe that I'm playing with these fellas and playing alongside those boys. So when you're talking about the delivery of ball in, you know, it's an absolute joy. And Coyle has played as a, a forward for so long, he knows exactly what kind of ball you want inside. Um, but, you know, that, that diagonal ball, it cuts out your six, man. It cuts out drops at half back. And it's a nightmare for a full back line to get out. He can't play you from the front because the ball will go in over him. And with that ball that you're running onto is just absolutely unbelievable. But I think this year it was, you know, kind of rolls reversed. Graham went out and he played at the top of the D. Myself and Aaron were inside. And, you know, myself and Aaron have that relationship where he goes one side, I go the other. You know, two of us can overload one side. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different kind of formations that you can involve that you can play in from that position. So it really, really did work well for us when we got inside and the ball that we were getting in, you know, was of top quality. So no. we couldn't have any complaints there. Yeah, it definitely was. I'm saying Kinnerk has brought some football tactics into hurling. Oh no, definitely. Like, you know, that, that two men inside forward line and you have that acre of space and, you know, the boys in the half forward line do so much work back that you really, like realistically, I suppose when you're looking at it, you have from the 65 in to the inline really to, to work with, you know, so there's a there's a, a huge landing zone inside there for, for balls to be put in. Um, and then, you know, you have the boys breaking off. I know Keane is constantly off the shoulder. So if a ball does go in, you know, you can you have that overlap and you can set up the, the boys going for goals and that. So huge. But yeah, Kinnark definitely, you know, he has he, every day of the week, you know, Paul's drills are just something else. And I don't think I've ever done the same drill twice with Paul. It's always something new. It's always something innovative. It's, it's it's special and he's you know that just goes to show he's a top class coach yeah have you done much have you done a lot of work on your on your point scoring as well because the odd one you might uh, maybe miss hit in the past but it'd be fair to say that whereas like I mean in the first half there in the All-Ireland final you're, you're running the wrong way on the sideline sc- scoring over your shoulder um, from the sideline I don't know maybe I'm disrespecting you in some way by saying maybe you weren't you were more noted for your ball winning ability yeah, no, definitely. Going back to 2018, it was always a case of, you know, get the ball in, win it. And I suppose it was, my, my first instinct was to pop the ball and set up someone else. Yeah. Um, in 2019, I didn't feature much, so, you know, there's not really much tactics associated with that. But when it got to 2020, I suppose it was, I really did, I, I, I kind of went down. And when I was with the club, you know, you, you're, you, there's so much expected of you when you go with the club. Um, so it was a case of, you know, everything was kind of being passed to me. So I suppose I got great opportunities in that regard. To, to practice and you know nail down my shooting and when I got back in with the Limerick setup after let's say when the, the championship was going ahead and even towards the league it was a massive um, thing that I, I tried to work on in training um, and I think that showed up trumps in, in, in this season you know when I, when I got the opportunity I think I hit very few wides Yeah and that's the thing and I suppose it's practicing that same run to that same area and that same shot Exactly, and come here in training, you know, I'd always link up with Diarmid, we'd go through our session, our warm-up session, and I'd always try and link up with Diarmid or Coyle or Dan or, you know, whoever was playing in the half-back line, and yeah. we practiced those diagonal balls, and, you know, usually you're getting them with the, in line with the, with, the, with the netting post, but I was trying them out further, if you can score those ones, you know, you'll score the easy ones in front of the goals. So it was just, you know, a practice, practice, and, you know, there was a couple of times that myself and Moore would go out and, you know, you're trying those impossible shots down the wing and before training and that, I think that. So when, when it comes, you know, you have a practice, you know, muscle memory and, you know, you can you take on those shots and you're confident in taking on those shots. Yeah, there's a, an interesting one from you. It was on your Wikipedia page, so you'll have to confirm this with me, that you played corner back with the under-21s and then were dropped for the second year as under at under-21. <laughs> Yeah, it was an odd one. I came on, I remember, I think it was under Leo Connor. I was after breaking my thumb, I think, and I wasn't sure if I was playing or not. And Leo thought, I think I was going to get on this ball at half back. So I started 
the game against half, I started half back against uh, Galway down in uh, Turles and I can safely say I had an absolute stinker at half back <laughs> so I don't think I'll ever be drifting back there again but then the second the, the year after then I remember we were playing with um, it was Pat Donnelly the year that we won it and I think I came on in the Galway game um, in the semi-final for about five minutes and I remember Kylie, it was actually, that was the year that Kylie sorry the following year John gave me a buzz and asked me would I come in with the senior setup. And I remember thinking to myself, this fella has the wrong number here. You know, I'm after playing, I think, four minutes of additional time against Galway in the semi-final. Didn't come on in the final. And I was like, this this man definitely has the wrong number here. He's some other Seamus. It must be Seamus Hickey he's looking for because it's not me. <laughs> but we went in and look, 2018 panned out the way 2018 did. Jeez, that's mad. Like, I mean, when you're not getting on the under-21s and you're being tried out in the backs, like at that stage, you must be, you must be thinking, is this going to work out for me at all? Yeah, you know, you, you start to question things and you're saying, you know, Okay, number one, I'm not a back, so I don't know what was going on there. It was probably, you know, trying to one of those mastermind tricks where you know Kylie did it with Kyle from centre forward back to half back, but it definitely didn't work out as well for me. <laughs> but, uh, who was the ma- sorry? Who was the manager that brought, put you back there? Leo O'Connor. Um, right. So yeah, Leo tried me back there, and then I think it was Pat Donnelly that was the the manager the year after. And you know, not getting a look in there, it was it was tough. But that team, you know, you had the stars stand up: Barry Nash, Keane. Aaron featuring all again um, it was that was a, a, a magic team really to be honest um, but yeah no, to not get a start there was difficult but then I remember when John when John gave me the call I absolutely jumped at it as I said I was in, I was in college above in Dublin um, and making that commute I was talking to my parents and you know what should I do and you know they were very much academic focused so they were like you know get your studies but you know give it a go um, and it was tough but when things started going my, my way in 2018 I was like I need to I need to see this through and you know luckily I did because that was the first the first edition of an All-Ireland medal to my back pocket Yeah incredible I'm sure you have a lot of sympathy on poor Barry Nash who's gone from a brilliant wing forward into a poor old dog and cornerback <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've marked him many a time in training and he, uh, he, he he's after taking to the role like a duck to water <laughs> he, uh, you know he, he's learned the trick to the trail of the pulling and the dragging anyway um, inside in the cornerback position but no come here Barry what, like, what a transformation, Barry. He, I, that same final in the, I think with that minor team, Barry got man of the match at corner forward for Limerick in that 21 team against Kilkenny. And now looking at him, he's after winning his first, he's a second all in the middle at corner back. And so what a transformation Barry Nash has. You know, it just goes to show, it's testament to the man. You know, he's the mo- one of the most determined men that I know. And any day in training, he's with our video guy, Shawnee, and seeing where he can get better and looking at where he could improve and things that he did well and what he needs to keep doing. So Barry is Barry's a determined man. Yeah, no, he's, a, he's absolutely fantastic transformation. Come here, you're studying radiography in um, UCD. I'm not going to keep you much longer because, you, like you said, you've got exams uh, before Christmas, so I'm sure you're studying. Um, you don't you don't strike me as the physical, physics and maths type. Um, no, no, I think I, physics is probably the one I struggle with the most. But no, I, 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 was, uh, I got up to UCD, I think, maybe this, I'm in my last year now, so it was about four years ago, um, and it was the only place that did it. So when I was doing my leaving cert, um, I got chatting to a girl and she was after doing, she was a qualified radiographer and she was kind of talking to me about the, you know, what, what entails and, you know, stuff like that and what I needed, let's say, qualification-wise through the leaving certain that. So I think I took a shining and I went out to the regional then um, in, in Limerick and I got a week's work, work experience done under my belt and, you know, there's so much scope that you can move into in CT and MRI and ultrasound and stuff like that. So it's a it's a really broad um, profession. So, you know, I took, I took a shining to it and, you know, never looked back since. Yeah, well, listen, it's fantastic. I'll let you back to your, your, your studying or whatever you're doing, Seamus. Thanks very much for giving us your time. Lovely. Cheers, Willie. Thanks very much.
Jeez, if if I couldn't love Seamus Flanagan anymore, Brian, he comes on the show and he's a complete natural and complete with complete honesty. I did like the one where, you know, before the game or in training, he'd pair off with Dermot Burns or something and they might practice a few of those diagonal balls and where he runs to. And it's very obvious, like he said, how much he's practiced that shot from that side because they bloody do it over and over again, Brian. It's not rocket science. They know what's coming and he knows where to practice it. Yeah, I look sure it's it's great to get a little insight like that as well and, and his honesty there. He's a great fellow because he had to work hard to obviously get a start this year. Yeah. Um, to, do, to do so well and, and, and look again, it comes back to management to have those players so well primed um, that, you know, obviously there is always a pecking order but Seamus Henning is able to come back into that team so seamlessly and put in the performance he did over over the, you know, the, the, the clutch moments or the final and Ireland final and to keep a player such as Peter Casey out of the team it just shows how how good he is and how good a setup it is as well. So I look at it's not by accident. You know, when you hear him describe that, it's not by accident that these these things are happening, and it's you know it's actually great to hear. Yeah, it definitely is, and he did double fist pump in the second half um, instead of just the one fist pump, which I thought was a classic. And like, I mean, that's that's obviously you know, like he said, you know, getting out a lot of the frustration from the previous year because he couldn't get on the team, and he said his form obviously had dipped, and you know, didn't make any case for himself that he should have been on the team, you know, and then comes back this year again, not on it, then gets his break in the semi final, and is brilliant in two games. Like, you know what I mean? I, I, maybe that'll spark him, and he'll have the experience. You know, the, the, the carryover from the year before to the holiday to the season starting, you know, whereas this year um, he'll have a little bit more experience maybe to be able to deal with the All-Ireland win. And you have to remember, like, three years ago now was such a whirlwind for Seamus Flanagan. Yeah, he, he was, was only 19. Yeah. Under, you know, but he was a sub for the under 21 in the year previous. And like, yeah. he got his start, you know, it's well documented, he got his start in, in the Waterford Crystal game. And he was so nervous going out to play his first game, but it just, you know, he he got his break and he he met it, and it just worked for him. And he was a huge player for Limerick that year. You know, we think of him turning the road and can learn the upside down the Ireland final against Galway a couple of years ago. And he was he was massive for them, and I suppose it was a huge thing for him to try and process over the year. You know, to go from not being able to make the twenty one team to being one of the linchpins of the team. You know, holding up full forward and had such an important role to himself in terms of his his um what he was able to do with the ball but also creating space and you know turning players over like he did um and to try and process that and you know maybe it was a, it was a big leap and as you said hopefully he's in a much better position uh, maybe not for opposition to hear that but for himself obviously he's in a much better position now to deal with that um level of success and be able to push on his performances even more yeah, come here, listen, this is the last show of the year, so I want to pick the All-Star team. And I have to say, I saw the Sunday game team of the year, and usually I'm whinging and bitching and moaning about these uh, teams and like, oh God, I can pick it better. They picked a bloody, a bloody fairly good team, if we're being honest. And there's very few positions up for grabs on this, Brian. Very few positions, but I, I, I'll bitch and moan about the third midfielder, definitely. <laughs> okay, right. Well, I, did, I, didn't actually, I, didn't actually, I didn't actually see the show. I just saw the team that they picked. Yeah, uh, what's yeah, the third yeah. midfielder so thing? Yeah, and Jackie put forward an, a, a, a case, Jackie Turtle, a case that uh, the way the game is gone, that only two play inside and sometimes even one, and that, you know, it's now now a situation where there's a, 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 some teams have four half forwards or, or three in midfield. I think a lot of teams now do play two inside in terms of staying inside and obviously move over back across. You know, you see Limerick, Graham and Catty was playing top of the B nearly in all the games. Um 
which is to me is still part of the full forward line. It's just you know moving out a bit, and that's that's not a new revolutionary tactic. It's just crept into the game over the last couple of years. Like I think you know it's probably a, a different use of a full forward, but it has been used in over time. Like you know we we go back to probably the first time a two man full forward line was ever played was was probably not the first time, but the the first of, of recent history, and that goes back to an Ireland semi final in nineteen eighty six. You know, Galway did it in Kenny and, and they didn't cope with it. But uh, it didn't work in the final because Cork just left her, her corner back free and, and he ended up getting man of the match. So, it, you know, these tactics come and go down through the years. Plenty of teams have tried it. But uh, I think obviously Limerick have it down to a T at the moment. Interestingly, speaking of Graham and Catty the other day, he went out to nullify Tyke de Burka and then left Keane Lynch free. And being honest, this was really obvious at the game. In the first 15, 20 minutes of the time Tyke de Borka went off, that was really working for Limerick. Keane Lynch was running an absolute muck up to there. Yeah. Um, Here the Daily coming on actually helped Waterford in terms of he stood and went kind of toe to toe, more toe to toe with Keane Lynch. Keane Lynch's influence on the game probably lessened after that. So anyway, I'm gone off on a, on a tangent, but I, I just don't think, I didn't see the necessity for three midfielders because I don't want, I, I didn't see any team really set up for three midfielders and I was at a lot of games. Who are the same as the third midfielder then? Because they're all forwards picked. So they put, they put Tony Kelly out as the third midfielder. All oh, right, okay, right. Forget about that. Look, listen, I'm yeah. not entertaining. They're trying to be too clever there. That's like play, That's like picking Colin yeah. Kavanagh full back because he used to be a sweeper. They're overthinking it altogether. Um, Shaw or yeah. Colin Kavanagh has an all-star midfield and at full back. It's outrageous. But right, we'll start with the goalkeeper. So there is actually a question over the goalkeeper. It's it's Quaid versus O'Keefe. And to be honest with you, I think Quaid. Look, I'm going to ask you because listen, I'm not I'm not going to start. This is a very difficult one, so I'm going to throw it over to you. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to go Craig. I'll stick with that initial one. I think Craig is absolutely excellent. Um, he probably didn't have a huge one to do leading up to the final, but he, he the final for me gives him the nod. And I know Stephen Keith made a brilliant double save. It was almost reminiscent of Brennan Cummins in 2003 against Kenny. Um, you were just sure both of them were going to be goals, and it was excellent. And you know, in fairness to Saki in the goal, he was very steady. Probably would have been disappointed with a couple of shots against Clare, um, but then he did make a brilliant save when needed that day as well. Um, so I will give the nod to Nicky Quaid in that one. Okay, right. He, they, hopefully, Nicky Quaid gets it. You don't want to fall into the James McGarry category where you don't make spectacular saves as much because your backs are so bloody good and, and miss out on an all star. Yeah. Right. Full, full back line is Sean Finn. I'm going to say Sean Finn and Dan Morrissey are bankers. Yeah. So the, the, the other cornerback. Yeah, the other cornerback slot is potentially up for grabs. The Sunday game gave it to Dottie Burke. I would say uh, Nash is definitely in there. Would Aidan Hart be in there? Made a few mistakes in the semi-final, I suppose. Yeah, semi-final performance probably not up to the usual standards that he hits, being honest. And made a couple of mistakes in, the, in that clutch moment with, with a couple of minutes to go as well. You know, and uh, uncharacteristic for him. You know, hit the ball away um, and, and allowed Limerick to maybe you know just get over the line there. So yeah. Between Dottie Burke, you know, I, I was probably kind of half thrown Connor Prunty in there as well. I thought he had a couple of fine performances, particularly in the semi final and final. Um, but yeah, Dottie Burke probably, in fairness to him, he was excellent um, in the Leinster final. Um, he, he, he really was against Kilkenny. No matter who came in them, was it Fenley or TJ Reid, it didn't matter. He, he was excellent there. But uh, maybe, t- maybe we could say Richie Holden got the better of him there. You know, he sniped 1 2 when he was in full forward. So that gave them a, a lot to think about there. So, look, we can pick holes in Ireland, which is in every pair. Who are you, who are you giving the nod to? 
Uh, I probably go with Dottie Burke there, if I'm being honest. Although ba- between uh, Nash and Burke, but I think Burke did very well on Callan. And after a shaky first five minutes only, he did well for the other seventy. Like I mean, he dominated in there. We'll go with that for the full back line. Uh, half back yeah. line. I'm going to say that Dermot Burns and Kyle Hayes are bankers. And for me, it's between Tyke yeah. Burke and Callum Lyons. Now I'm making a very strong case for Callum Lyons. One two against Cork. Did very well in Garod Hegarty in the Munster final. He was brilliant against Kilkenny. Now, he didn't... If, if we're being honest, Garod Hegarty got all the scores off Callum Lyons when Waterford started getting desperate. Or maybe not all of them, but he got, you know, he, he got a few of them off him. Is Callum Lyons done enough? Ty De Burke didn't play all that game. So if you're to judge the two of them off the games that they... You know, until Ty De Burke went off in the All-Ireland final, Callum Lyons wins it. Callum Lyons might lose to Tyg de Burka for the rest of the match that Tyg de Burka didn't play. Yeah, yeah, I, I take your point on, exactly on that, to be honest. Um, Callum Lyons probably showed a bit of defensive naivety in the in the Ireland final. He, uh, next thing you your court and he scores, and it is, and he got a brilliant point in the Ireland final too. He would be a nightmare to mark in terms of a player that just drives forward, you know, strong in the air, um, brilliant runner, you know, driving down the field a nightmare but I suppose what Garoad Hegarty did was said well you know if you want to go down there off you go but I'm going the other way and I'm going to pick scores for, for sport you know so yeah. um, on, on that side of things who are you going for there who, who are you going for yeah, going the, the, to the up that. yeah like oh, I'm going to go with Tyke Burka. Tyke right I go for Callum Lyons for what it's worth right midfield you're talking about um, William O'Donoghue Keen Lynch Jamie Barron, Cahill Mannion. I threw Cahill Mannion into the mix, probably off his Tipperary performance. Like he 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 did play well. Who you got? Which two would you pick out of there? Um, Keane Lynch, I think, is a certainty. There's no doubt about that. William Dunn was very unlucky, but I thought Jamie Barron was probably one of the main horrors throughout the year. Probably didn't have as big influence in the All Ireland final, but that probably comes back to Limerick how good they were. But Limerick or Waterford wouldn't be in All Ireland only for Jamie Barron. All right, okay, that's the midfield then. I probably tend to agree with that. Although you have to say William O'Donoghue is very unlucky to lose out there. I, I would say that between yeah, him and Jimmy Barron, it's yeah. very unlucky, very unlucky. Um, and in another year, you might put William O'Donoghue wing forward, but there's no getting on this team wing forward because Hegarty... Well, you, could put, you, could put, you could put Keane Lynch in the forwards because he obviously played two games to centre forward, you know. So. Yeah, but then look look at the half-forward line and I'll ask you that again. It's Hegarty, TJ and Morrissey. That's a shut-up shot. Yeah, well, that... Exactly, that closes up that. Uh, closes that up. Like you would say, like, on. <laughs> in, a, in another year, based off his semi final and final performance, Austin Gleason's getting a half forward line slot there. Yeah, Austin, like, can you go down through it? Probably unlucky not to win one because he brilliant performance in the second half, particularly in the semi final. Uh, Waterford's best forward in the Ireland final, you know, put put a put to bed some of the ghosts of the Ireland final for 2017. Really stood up when they needed him. Was a little bit quieter in the year, but he's still scoring two or three points per game. Um, and to me, unlucky now, I have to say, not getting the nod. Yeah, okay, right. Full forward line then. There's two bankers, Tony Kelly and Stephen Bennett, as far as I would be concerned. The other one, for yeah. me, is off the grabs. And you've got Aaron Galan, Seamus Flanagan, Desi Hutchinson, and Connor Whelan. Um, I'm not sure where you go there. I would be leaning towards Conor Whelan. Personally, I'd be Galan. Um, four points in the final, people say he didn't hurt it. I, I just think Dottie Burke and Sox with another semi-final. But apart from that, you know, he was one of the front runners for Hurler of the Year. So to me, he'd be Galan. Right, OK. So you don't think there's any even debate about that. All right, well, that's OK. So we're going to go for Hurler of the Year. Who do you think? 
<laughs> uh, front runner for Ireland or for hurler the year going into Ireland final, he scores seven points to play. I think that answers <laughs> anyone. All right, uh, just as well. Just, Tom Marcy well. unlucky. Tom Marcy, yeah, the final. he would have got it any other day, only for the fact that he outscored him. Any other year, Tom Morrissey is the hurler of the year. And Tom Morrissey was in yeah. the for hurler of the year in 18 as well. I don't think he made the shortlist, but he should have made it. I don't think he won an All-Star that yeah. year. Did he? I can't, I can't remember. remember. I don't think, I, don't think I, I, can't, I really can't remember, now, to be honest. Uh, yeah. he, he's excellent. I thought he performed all Ireland, but unbelievably. I, to my recollection, he had five assists. You know, he about four of them for Hegarty as well. So, um, you know, Hegarty owes him a point for two. Yeah, he definitely does. Manager of the year? Um, sure, it's John Kiley or Liam Cal, really, isn't it? Yeah, Down between it is. the two of them, John Kiley getting them back. They're, they're unbeaten all year, first time since 1961. The team was unbeaten. You know, uh, Tipperary team to do in 1961 league and championship. Very hard not to give it to John Kiley in those situations. John Kiley, I'd say, yeah, but if you're, if it's all relative, would you not say that uh, Liam Cal? For the job that he's had at the start of the year, John Kiley has an incredible bunch of players who are Munster League All Ireland defending champions. I know they went the season unbeaten, but could you argue that Liam Cal, the job he did, is more impressive? It's a bit like David Moyes or something winning the Manager of the Year over Alex Ferguson because he got Everton into fourth or something like that. Yeah, no, I know, I know, appreciate the fact. Like, look, yeah, Liam Cal's considered a, a, a so-called rookie manager. You know, going in on the back of what Waterford had two poor seasons, hadn't won a game in two years. Uh, definitely take a point of that one, right? We gave the nod to Liam Cal for that one. Okay, Liam Cal. Actually, Tom Morrissey didn't get one. Peter Duggan and Seamus Harnady got them on the two wings back in 2018, which I thought was outrageous yeah. back then. But at least he's got it this time, which is great. Uh, just to finish up, Young Hurler of the Year. I don't want to be disrespectful to the Young Hurlers of the Year, but this is, this is in a lot of years, this is very obvious who's going to win this. And, and this year... Jeez, you'd be you'd be doing well to to make a short list. That's a fact. We were scratching our heads about this one now, and you know, no disrespect from as you said, like there's there's some fine young girls out there, but there's actually only a handful of them actually playing in the county senior at the moment. You know, Limerick have a very young team. You know, Kyle Hayes probably been the youngest at twenty two, and you know, the rest of them twenty three, twenty four, whatever. But uh, it was very hard to find them. Do you know, like lads that are really nailed down in the county spot. A starting place and you know say playing week in week out for their county um, tin on the ground actually you know yeah no it definitely is our nominations for this one are own Cody um, Jake Morris and who was the third one um, oh yeah it was McCarthy Robert Downey and Aidan McCarthy yeah you know but maybe there's one or two of them in to be fair there's four of them in, in the mix maybe yeah Robert Downey Aidan McCarthy so who are we going for own Cody yeah. oh, I, or Jake I Morris possible penny own Cody or Jake, like Jake Morris got two big goals. I would say he got a great goal against Limerick. I know they were beaten that day, but he got probably the goal against Cork saw them over the line that day. Um, and just for that reason alone, I'd be giving Jake Morris, Jake Morris the nod. Okay, all right, brilliant stuff. Right, well, listen, Brian, have a have a good Christmas. We're going to give you the Christmas off now, and we'll have you back in training in February for a league probably starting at the end of February. I hope that's okay. Winter well now, Brian. You better winter well. Oh. I better not. Good luck, <laughs> Right. Thanks, Brian. All right, listen, that's the last show for the year. We'll be back, uh, you know, in the new year and we'll talk to you then. Good luck. Well, when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So I opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are. And uh, we're trying hard to make it through. 
but it's harder to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Waterford today because, like, I, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. I let it go,